to advocate for yourself in healthcare, for one, you have to know your body. You can't go to the doctor and expect that your doctor is going to know more about your symptoms than you. The more you know about your symptom, when it happened, when it started, what makes it better or worse, the more we can diagnose you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Dr. Judy Brangman. Dr. Judy is a board-certified internal medicine physician and plant-based nutrition expert. She came to the cafe to explain what lifestyle medicine is, the benefits of a plant-based diet, and how to advocate for yourself in healthcare settings. Grab your warm drink and tune in for a great conversation. Hi, Dr. Brangman. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you so much for coming. It's an absolute pleasure. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, Makita. So great to be on the podcast. So I'm Dr. Judy and I'm an internal medicine physician. Also, what's certified in lifestyle medicine. I've been plant-based for over seven years now and I'm currently working as a hospitalist in the Raleigh area. And I have my company that I founded, Newell Health where I help women transition to a healthy plant-based diet. I provide online courses and coaching as well as a monthly membership. And I also do public speaking. So I am very passionate about helping people to live healthier so that they can live longer and better. Fantastic. Could you please tell us what is lifestyle medicine? Great question. So lifestyle medicine is a field of medicine where it focuses on six pillars and it focuses on prevention. So any physician can become certified in lifestyle medicine or learn about the lifestyle medicine principles. It's not a separate residency, but it's sort of a track that physicians choose to take once they've finished their primary board certification training. So it focuses on the six different areas, which are nutrition, focusing on a mostly whole food plant-based diet, getting regular physical activity, quitting smoking and harmful substances, focusing on stress reduction and healthy social connections, as well as getting important and adequate sleep. And it uses these different modalities to help patients improve blood pressure, improve diabetes, and prevent getting chronic diseases. Because we know that 80% of chronic diseases could actually be prevented with lifestyle changes. So it's powerful, it's needed, it's useful. It's really something that should be included in medical school training, but unfortunately at the moment it's not. So it's a new, a newer subset that was started by a group of physicians out of California that saw a need for it. So they have an annual conference, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they have virtual webinars and lots of resources that if your audience are interested in learning more about it, they can go to the website and find more information. Fantastic. How did you get interested in this specialty? So I got interested in lifestyle medicine probably, it was I think 2016. And I'd always been interested in holistic health. I knew that I was never going to be the type of doctor that just practiced in a traditional way and prescribed pills only, and that was it. I, I've always known that the way God wants us to treat our bodies is broader than that, and that nutrition is important. But I didn't know that lifestyle medicine was actually an established field and an organization until one of my colleagues was telling me in 2016 that they were going to the conference. And I was like, oh, what is this conference? And she was telling me about it. She was like, yes, there's physicians. We talk about prevention. There's meetings. Like, you should come. So I went with her and there were like three of us that went. 
And it was just amazing. I met so many other physicians who had worked with patients that have been able to come off of medications for diabetes, improve blood pressure, improve weight. And so it just really opened my eye to what is possible. And I did not know that that was possible. So that was a game changer for me. And I really have not looked back since, actually. Since then, I have furthered my knowledge in the field. I got board certified when they first offered that in 2017. And then when I launched my company, as well as my social media platform, I've continued to use those avenues to reach people in a way that I was unable to do in my traditional work setting. Can you tell us about the benefits of a plant-based diet? And does someone need to be 100% plant-based to reap the benefits? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the benefits of a plant-based diet are improved blood pressure. There are studies, numerous studies that show the benefits of a plant-based diet on cardiovascular health. So the Epic Oxford study, Adventist Health study, was data extrapolated from a nurse's health study that found a low risk of cardiovascular disease in individuals and individuals in the study that followed a more of a plant-based diet or vegetarian or vegan diet. There's data, an article by Satija, I think was published in AHA, that looked at healthful versus unhealthy plant-based diets and found a difference there as well in that individuals that consumed a healthy plant-based diet, meaning whole grains, fruits, and vegetables, instead of the processed, unhealthy vegan foods, the vegan cheeses and beyond and impossible burgers, that they had lower risk and lower rates of heart disease as well. So I mentioned heart disease first because it's the number one cause of death still, even though it's preventable. And so that's extremely important. If we can lower the rates of cardiovascular disease, I think that's tremendous as far as health outcomes as a country and cost of healthcare that we're spending. The second area that has been found in studies to be beneficial for plant-based diet is reversal of type 2 diabetes as well as prevention of it. So the Ventus Health Studies looked at that too, as well as other studies and showed that there's a lower rate of diabetes and populations and study participants who were vegan and vegetarian. And so, you know, when you look at diabetes across a continuum, the traditional view is that the patient has diabetes because it's genetic. You put them on a medication, they stay on the medication for life, and they may need more medications as time goes on because you're not addressing the underlying problem. You're not addressing the poor diet. So lifestyle medicine looks at the root of the problem. It addresses that. And we're able to get patients actually off medications, which physicians and healthcare organizations that are not utilizing plant-based nutritional lifestyle medicine are not getting those results. So that's just the bottom line. The results are that plant-based diet speaks for itself. And I've had patients who have been able to reverse type 2 diabetes, not type 1, type 2. Type 1 is not reversible. I've had patients who reverse type 2 diabetes with their body plant-based. So that's remarkable to me because I find a lot of patients don't even want to take medications, but when you teach them that you can actually take less by eating better, exercising, getting better sleep, it really opens up a lot of hope for them and really can change their life for the better. I'm glad you mentioned reversal of diabetes and you also listed a couple of sources. And I imagine still, I met an MD the other day who scoffed at me when I mentioned this concept of a plant-based diet. 
And he's- he was basically implying that it's a fad and he's not convinced that, you know, there's enough evidence to show that plant-based diets work. I imagine you might have <laughs> run into a few colleagues like that yourself. How do you normally respond? I mean, I was actually that person. I was skeptical at first. I thought it was one of those bogus, what do you call them, like conspiracy type theory people that say things that are not evidence-based because physicians, we are drilled and trained to be evidence-based. We look at the research, the data, the studies, and if it's not in the studies, then, you know, that's not what we're supposed to be practicing. And so I couldn't believe that I went through four years of medical school, three years of residency, and never heard of plant-based diet. So I thought there was no research on it. But I went in PubMed, which is the database that we use to search for journal articles, putting in plant-based diets, and found several articles. And not just articles that were old and outdated. Some of them were small, some of them were weaker, but there were several that were pretty good. And so that was really surprising to me. And so you probably direct that position to me because I used to be that person and I totally understand it, but it really takes, I think, being outside of yourself and being willing to learn something new. And that also coming to terms with the fact that your training lacked something that it should have covered. Nice response. Is a plant-based diet for everyone or are there some people for whom it might not be ideal? So you mentioned actually earlier, is a plant-based diet or do people need to be 100%? So I'm kind of going to tie those two in together. And depending on who you ask, you may hear a different answer, right? So if we know that vegetarianism and veganism can lower the rates of hypertension, blood pressure issues, heart disease, diabetes, and even certain cancers, that's helpful. Vegetarian is a type of plant-based diet. It's not fully plant-based, but there's still benefits with even being vegetarian. The diet in America and the Western country is so poor that by and large, most people did not get enough fruits and vegetables. There was actually a, a paper that looked at that and compared healthy behaviors in a subset of individuals. And they looked at maintaining a healthy body weight, a healthy diet, not smoking and getting regular physical activity, and only 4% of people met all four of those healthy lifestyle behaviors. That's terrible. So any way that you move the needle towards a healthy plant-based diet is a plus. So in my program, I work with patients and clients to move the needle as far as they want. If they want to go 100%, doable is safe. You can get all of your nutritional needs that way. But if you only want to be 50%, that's fine too. That's better than most on the typical American diet. But I tell people that at least half of the plate should be vegetables and you need to eat whole grains instead of white rice. So no, people do not need to be 100%. And I think that's important to state because I find a lot of people in the plant-based world, vegans, the vegan world, they are sort of an all or none. They act like everyone has to be 100% plant-based. And sometimes that can be a tunnel to people because it's very intimidating to a lot of people to go plant-based. So if you make it a choice, where they can choose how plant-based they want to be. And I guarantee you, once they start in that journey, they will want to go all the way. It's kind of like maximum therapy, right? If you prescribe a blood pressure medication, the dose is 10 milligrams. 10 milligrams is where you're going to get the effect. If you take two milligrams, your effect and your benefit is going to be less. So why wouldn't you want to go all the way? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So it just depends on where you are. Like if someone's trying to really, really lose weight and get all and improve, let's say, improve or put hypertension into remission or put type 2 diabetes in remission, 
the best way to do that would be to be fully plant-based, probably at least 90% for a period of time. Are there any myths or misconceptions that you feel are worthy of dispelling when it comes to being plant-based? Anything that you often hear and think, oh, I wish people would stop spreading this. Yes, absolutely. And I had a webinar on this, a masterclass a couple of months ago. So the audience is listening and they are interested in learning more. Go to my website, theplantbasedmd.com and sign up for my email list. I do webinars frequently from time to time. And so there are five top myths that I've found either in my interactions with people or just like on the internet, seeing what other people are talking about. And the biggest one is that you won't get adequate protein on a plant-based diet, which nothing could be farther from the truth. First of all, you ask any physician or healthcare provider, have you ever seen anyone with protein deficiency? They will tell you no. So you don't need to worry about that. And actually, if you look at the data and the studies, there are several studies that have compared protein consumption in people that are not vegan. So standard traditional diet, people that are vegetarian, people vegans, and they're all consuming at least a minimal daily amount. What is the minimum daily amount? 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So for the average person, that is around 50, 55 grams of protein a day. And most people... And all the studies that you look at consume more than that, upwards of maybe even like 70 grams of protein a day. So contrary to popular belief, people are getting protein. Plants do have protein. People act like protein is king, but it's really not. And we're getting more than enough of it. I like that. What are the other ones? Other myths would be about calcium. People often think that you need dairy to get calcium. They don't know or understand that plant-based diets do provide calcium, certain plant-based foods. That's why it's important to work with a physician or nutritionist who's knowledgeable about plant-based nutrition so that they can guide you and tell you which foods you need to be eating more of specifically. There's a whole list. Greens, but how you cook them determines as well calcium absorption levels. But basically, calcium is another myth that people think you can only get it from dairy. And actually, there's really no data to even suggest that eating, that consuming dairy lowers your risk of fractures. They've actually found the opposite to be true. Milk is actually inflammatory and there's no reason for a human to consume the milk of another mammal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think no we're reason. the only ones that do that. <laughs> no reason. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you lean babies off of the mother's breast milk at like one or two at the most, right? Yes. Breastfeeding at two years old, people think you're crazy. But yeah, we're still basically drinking breast milk from a cow into adulthood. And people think about it, it sounds really crazy. It does. I've never heard it put that way before. I like it playing, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like to make connections to people so they can be like, oh, you know what? Let me rethink the way I've been thinking about milk or XYZ. What about B12 and iron? Those are also uh, common nutrients that people seem to worry about on plant-based diets. Yeah, and before I went plant-based and learned so much about plant-based, I actually thought that if you were on a vegan diet, you would be deficient in nutrients. I was so sure of it. I don't know where I got that information from, but this is pervasive thought that if you're vegan, you're not going to be getting nutrients. It's so funny now that I look back and think about it. And I remember actually having discussions with people about this. But on a vegan diet, the main nutrient of concern is vitamin B12. That's the one vitamin that you will need to supplement with. You're not going to get adequate from other sources. 
And some people say, oh, okay, well, we have to take a B12 supplement. Does that mean that a vegan diet, you know, it must be deficient? Actually not. B12 is actually made by bacteria, which is in the soil. And because of the pervasive use of antibiotics, the quality of the nutrients in the plants is actually poor. So there's not much B12 coming through from the soil by the time the food is harvested. And so the source of B12 from animal products, when you eat eggs and meat, it comes because they actually give a B12 supplement to the animals. So you can bypass the animal and take a supplement yourself or eat the animal product with all of these other problems and get it that way. And iron, you mentioned iron. People are often concerned about iron. They think that, oh my goodness, a vegan diet, I can get iron. Heme iron's better, it's absorbed better, but it's higher absorption necessary or even better for our overall health. And there really is no good data to suggest that heme iron is better. And actually sometimes heme iron can overaccumulate in the body and be consumed in excess. And so there are certain foods, again, plant-based foods that have higher iron than others. Greens are some of them. Beans tend to have high iron. Uh, in my course, plant-based eating, we go over that. We have a whole handout and section on vitamins and which plant-based foods to focus on, which foods to eat every day, which foods to eat with those foods so that the absorption of the iron is better. If you pair it with vitamin C, the absorption can be better too. So you do have to be mindful of these different things on a plant-based diet and very knowledgeable. And again, you know, encouraging you the viewers to seek someone who is plant-based like myself or lifestyle medicine who can kind of merge that information together for you. Because if you go to a traditional physician or dietitian, they're not going to know anything about it. That's actually a question that I had coming up for you, which is what tips do you have for patients who want to try a plant-based diet, particularly if their healthcare provider is hesitant? If your healthcare provider is hesitant, if they're a good doctor and they've been good to you, you've been seeing them for a while, they're thorough, you trust them, you don't need to throw them out. I know sometimes people feel like they want to and need to see a plant-based doctor, but you don't really need to see one for your primary care. It's very hard to find a plant-based primary care doctor. I'm not practicing plant-based currently. I'm doing just the plant-based part in the lifestyle medicine consultation. So I would say find a lifestyle medicine plant-based physician that you can see on a consult basis who can work with your primary care doctor with regards to your hypertension, your diabetes, your weight, your vascular history, all of those things. And they can work together to help actually get you down off the medication. Because to be quite frank, primary care is not focused on getting patients off medication. That's my primary goal and focus to help you get healthier. So you really don't even need to come and see me. But primary care is sort of a maintenance thing. You see the doctor every year, you see the every month, so you get your refill. So I think you need both to be a part of your team. And I wouldn't focus on even trying to convince your primary doctor to be open to plant-based nutrition. I think that there are research articles. If you want to message me, I can send you two good ones that you can share with your doctor. But if they're like me, and most of us, they may be a bit resistant. So that's kind of what I would do. I would keep your primary care doctor if you like them and trust them and find another physician like myself on a consult basis. And I'm based in Raleigh. I'm also licensed in California and soon we'll be offering lifestyle medicine consultations for individuals in those two states. And so I'll be happy to work with people who really want to live healthier 
live a more abundant life and who want to work with someone to actually improve those outcomes. Do you have a memorable patient success story that stands out? So, yes, yeah, so I actually do have a couple of uh, patient success stories, but I'll share one about a patient who I saw when I was doing primary care several years ago who came to me simply because they wanted to go plant-based or they were about to start a plant-based diet. And so they wanted to see a plant-based doctor to help guide them. And interestingly enough, I get labs on all of my patients and discovered that he had diabetes, type 2 diabetes, but he didn't know it. And so long story short, fortunately for him, I did not have to do any work to convince him to go plant-based because he was just about to start or had started like a week prior. And so I worked with him over the next three months. And of course, I prescribed him insulin and oral medications initially. And as well as encourage him to go plant-based and work with him very closely with that. And he went fully plant-based, whole food plant-based. And I was able to reduce his medications within about a month or two. And by the four-month mark, we had been able to cut back pretty much all of his medications, which was pretty fascinating to me to have someone that's diagnosed and then also putting that condition into remission within a matter of six months, I think was remarkable. His hemoglobin A1C was 14, which is very high and very uncontrolled. And his blood sugar was 700. Oh, he was wow. not overweight at all. And so it was definitely a unique situation and experience, but it really just was remarkable to me to see the power of food. It's crazy to me that more people aren't doing plant-based or prescribing plant-based, if that's an expression that can be used, if it can actually reverse diseases. You don't hear people saying, oh, insulin reversed my illness, but you're hearing that Mm -hmm. diets can do that. But it still seems fringe, like not everyone's doing it. Yeah, it does still seem fringe. It's becoming more and more mainstream, though. I think it's kind of trendy now. It's popular, you know, and so there's so many vegan items in the grocery store at the restaurants. I don't know why it's not taught in schools. Are there any health disparities worth noting when it comes to maybe lifestyle diseases, lifestyle medicine? Yes, and that could probably be a whole nother conversation. Ah. There's healthcare disparities, unfortunately. It's well documented that one, people of color are perceived to have a higher pain tolerance. So typically when a person of color goes to the emergency room, sickle cell patients, chest pain patients, they're sometimes not taken seriously or not perceived to be truly having pain. So they're undertreated, underdiagnosed. And the perceptions amongst healthcare of people of color, unfortunately, are biased. So that leads to delays in treatment, delays in care. There's also problems with access. Often people in communities of color have farther to travel to even get to the doctor's office. And then also there's the issue with trust, with institutionalized racism that exists in America. And particularly, people of color often don't trust or feel comfortable going to the doctor. And with only 5% of physicians in the United States being people of color, that presents a huge barrier because if you don't want to see a doctor that doesn't look like you, it's going to be hard for you to find a doctor. And so you may just say to yourself, I'm just not going to go to the doctor at all, which I wouldn't advise that. But unfortunately, there are several people, a lot of people probably that do that, that are not seeking care. And when they come in, it's often too late. They have full-blown cancer. They're having a heart attack 
or they're in respiratory distress from COPD because they've been smoking, but they've been at home with shortness of breath for days. And so I see this more than I would like as a hospital-based physician. And it really breaks my heart, to be honest. How do you recommend that patients advocate for themselves in healthcare settings? So to advocate for yourself in healthcare, for one, you have to know your body. You can't go to the doctor and expect that your doctor is going to know more about your symptoms than you. The more you know about your symptom, when it happened, when it started, what makes it better or worse, the more we can diagnose you. So you come into the doctor and you're having abdominal pain and that's all you know, but you're not paying attention to your body to know what it feels like, what makes it better or worse. Where is it? The severity of it, all these things need to be documented. And if you can't remember, write it down. You should write it down, actually, I would say. That would be very helpful. Come and see the doctor with a list of the medications. Extremely helpful because healthcare literacy in some communities is lower than others. But even if you don't know what conditions you have, if I see a list of your medications, I know what you have. And I know a lot about your health history. So every time you go to the doctor, actually, you should keep it in your wallet. I encourage patients to do this. and if your audience is younger and maybe you don't have medical problems. This is something to discuss with your parents and your grandparents. They need to have a list of the medications in their phone, in the notes app or Google Doc or sheet of paper that they keep in their wallet and take everywhere with them is super important because so many patients don't even know what they're taking or why they're taking them. And then I would also say ask questions. And the more you know and more knowledgeable and confident you are, the more able you are to advocate for yourself. So there's the internet. You know, we use the internet for just more everything these days. So we should be using it for our health. Two websites that I recommend to look for quality information that's easy, patient-centric, is Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins. They have topics on every medical condition. So utilize these resources and become educated. Because it's your body, you have to live with it. When you get sick, it's you that suffers the most. <laughs> and so taking ownership of your health is going to be about most important. And I do believe that that's what God would have us to do, actually. We're not just bodies that are existing carelessly. And we're not just bodies that get conditions without our input, to be quite honest. We can eat foods that can either help our bodies to heal help our bodies to be healthy, or we can eat foods that actually help our bodies to develop disease and that will eventually lead to chronic disease and ability. So a lot of it is actually more in our control than we realize. And so those are the things that I would say, knowing your symptoms, having a medication list, getting knowledgeable and using those resources that I just mentioned to get informed about your health. I love that you mentioned medication list. I actually have a downloadable medication list that I normally put in the show notes because I think it's just so important that people know that. But thinking a little deeper about advocacy, using the example that you gave with the pain. So you show up and you say, I've been feeling this pain. It's in my stomach. It's in my head, wherever. And you try to explain it. And someone decides, oh, they're just seeking medication or something. Then what do you do? You know in your heart that you're not here for opioids. You're truly in pain and they're dismissing you. How do you handle being dismissed despite the information that you present? That's very challenging. That can be demoralizing, actually, Mm -hmm. if someone's dismissing your symptoms. And it probably happens more than it should in healthcare, especially people of color. I don't dismiss symptoms because I think that symptoms are a sign. It's like an alarming 
it's like an alarm of your body telling you that something is wrong. And so sometimes obviously being in healthcare, symptoms are dismissed too early before a thorough workup is done. So if you're seeing someone in the clinic, primary care, you have a choice. I would see see somebody else who is going to advocate for you and who you feel is going to listen to your issues and what you have to share, what your symptoms are. If you're in the emergency room, you obviously don't have a choice, but I would just say be persistent, be confident and use the internet to your advantage. I know some doctors don't want people on the internet because there's a lot of crap on the internet. There's a lot of false information, but Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins has good resources. So you can look up things there and then collaborate with your doctor. You know, don't put on the internet abdominal pain. What does that mean, right? I'm talking about like looking up the diagnosis that you've been given, looking up the medication that you've been given. But if you're having a symptom and you're not satisfied with the first evaluation that you get, you can always seek a second opinion. I like that. Are there any common mistakes that you see patients make when they're navigating healthcare? So there is a key difference between lifestyle medicine approach and the traditional medicine approach. The traditional medicine approach says that the physician gives instructions to the patient without the patient's input. And the patient says, yes, doctor, they go home and they may or may not follow those instructions. So it's very prescriptive. Lifestyle medicine, on the other hand, takes into account the whole patient, particularly their diet. I will not have an encounter with a patient without discussing diet. So we discuss diet and physical activity, but then also we would look at the other factors that come into play as to whether a patient is able to take a medication, such as can they afford it? How close do they live to the pharmacy? Are they able to pick it up? Can they even read the prescription that's on the bottle? I trained in a rural part of North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina, and I never forget the stories of my colleagues where they prescribe medications to patients and patient kept coming in for high blood pressure, not controlled. You add more and more medications. You're like patient on four medications. Why is the blood pressure not going down? Come to find out the patient cannot read. And because they were embarrassed that they couldn't read, they didn't tell the doctor. So they didn't know what dose to take. So they weren't taking the medication basically right. properly. So I always get my patients to say back what I'm seeing to them. Okay, so tell me what you understand about how you're going to take this medication. You know, how often are you going to take it? That's what I was saying. So yeah, those are my tips. I love that example. Thank you. Have you ever had someone tell you something like, my granny ate whatever she wanted and she lived to be 100? Yeah, Uh, people say that all the time. time, It's always like, one person, but that's anecdotal. We don't go by anecdotal. We need to go on PubMed and look at the research articles and see what they say about plant-based diets. Not anecdotal data from your grandma who <laughs> lived to be 90 and she still smoked. Most exactly. people do not do that, okay? And secondly, what is the quality of her life at 90? I would mm-hmm. also question that too, because living to 90 is not a reason to give somebody a medal. Sure. Most people who are 90 are living below their functional status, they're debilitated. And most people spend the end years of their life in and out of hospitals or in nursing homes, walking around with the cane or like 15, 20 medications. Is that the kind of life that you want? No, for me, that's not the kind of life that I want. So that's what I would say to that. I can say the same thing, like, oh, okay, I know someone who's 90 and they've been whole food plant-based. They don't smoke, they exercise and they're still running marathons. 
Is there a right and a wrong way to do plant-based eating? So there is definitely right and a wrong way, so to speak, I guess. I don't know. It really kind of depends. The wrong way would be an unhealthy vegan. Like I say, I mentioned the study uh-huh. by Strategia and looked at healthful versus unhealthful plant-based diet. So they found actually worse cardiovascular disease outcomes in to were consuming an unhealthy plant-based diet. So if you're eating the fries, Oreos, Beyond Burgers, that's vegan. White bread, white rice is vegan, but it's unhealthy. And so, yes, that's the wrong way to be plant-based. And a lot of times people think that, oh, if I go plant-based, I'll be good. But they're eating unhealthy foods, not realizing that that is worsening their cardiovascular outcomes and it's not advisable. And so, yes, that's the wrong way. The right way would be a whole food plant-based diet. That's why I distinguish between whole food plant-based and vegan. I'm not vegan. I don't recommend vegan it's whole food plant-based which technically it is vegan you're also not eating processed foods you're not eating added sugars so oreos is not a part of a whole food plant-based diet yes you can consume it sometimes you know on rare occasions maybe you want to eat some french fries but that's not supposed to be the core of what you're eating so whole food plant-based diet i think of it as the gold standard for optimal health and it's a type of plant-based diet, just like vegan is a type of plant-based diet, but vegan is more of a lifestyle, ethical stance to not consume or use anything that uses an animal in any part of the production. So they wouldn't even use something that has been processed using like animals like, you know, bone char and sugar. Sugar is processed with bone char, right? So they won't eat white sugar, won't wear leather, won't use leather or honey. So there's some differences and often those two terms do get confused when I'm speaking to different people, but hopefully plant-based diet is the way to go. I love that you made that distinction. Thank you. Would flowers, various types of flour, like whole wheat flour, count as whole food plant-based or no, because it's processed? I would consider it whole food plant-based if it's a whole grain. Yes. Finally, Dr. Judy. Two more questions. How can people work with you? And please give us your closing thoughts. So I work with women to help them transition to a healthy plant-based diet. So if you're struggling to eat healthier, you're struggling to lose weight, lower your blood pressure, improve your diabetes, and you have not tried plant-based, you tried other things and they have not worked, go to my website, The Plant-Based MD, subscribe to my email list and or send me an email and I would love to work with you in that regard. And I just finished a cohort, my course, Plant-Based Eating 101, where I transition you and step-by-step hold your hand and guide you as you're transitioning to a healthy plant-based diet. And we go over several of the things that I discuss in the podcast, such as protein, calcium, what plant-based foods to eat, what vitamins and nutrients you need to take. We have a whole module covering vitamins in detail, what plant-based foods to eat, whether you need to supplement or not. We talk about carbs, fiber, we talk about uh, cooking. We also have cooking videos, cooking modules with myself, as well as guest speakers that I have that are part of the course doing cooking demonstrations, showing you how to cook delicious, healthy plant-based foods. So it is my premier signature offering and we are going to be launching again in the fall. There's a waiting list already. Space is limited. So go to my website and then my social media. If you are just getting started on your journey or you've been plant-based, the Plant-Based MD. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Would love to connect with you. 
And thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Nikki. My, my pleasure. Thank you. How long is your course? It's seven weeks. Seven weeks. And do you have any closing thoughts? Plant-based diets are for everyone, no matter what you may have heard. And you can choose how far you go on the pendulum. 80%, 100%, 70%, either way, you decide. But eating more vegetables is key. So the simple take-home message is eat more vegetables. Make half the food on your plate vegetables, and that'll be a great place to start. Lovely. Thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Dr. Judy. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Some key takeaways from Dr. Judy include, you don't need to be 100% plant-based to reap the benefits. You don't need dairy to get calcium. And you can get adequate protein on a plant-based diet. As I've mentioned a couple of times before, I've created a free medication tracker to help you keep track of your medications. If you'd like to have this free downloadable resource, all you need to do is click the link to download the medication tracker in the show notes. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye!